In 2015, community-acquired pneumonia accounted for 15% of deaths in children under 5 years old globally. Clinical assessment can be challenging, as symptoms vary widely with age and can be non-specific in young children. I'm Sophie Cook, UK Research Editor, and I'm joined on the phone today by Iram Hack, a paediatric respiratory registrar and research fellow at the Great Northern Children's Hospital in Newcastle. Iram and her colleagues have written a clinical update in the BMJ this week, which updates non-specialists on what they should know with regard to diagnosing and treating childhood pneumonia. Iram, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for asking me to talk to you today. So, I mean, respiratory symptoms are extremely common in children and many of our readers will see these frequently in practice. So can you explain to us what exactly pneumonia is? So um, community-acquired pneumonia can be defined as a clinical diagnosis of pneumonia, which is caused by a community-acquired infection in an otherwise healthy child. How common is it to see pneumonia in children of all the children presenting with respiratory infections? How many are likely to have a pneumonia? So we know that community-acquired pneumonia is a relatively common problem and it's a frequent cause for hospital admissions both in developed and developing countries. There are various European studies that have been carried out which have shown that rates of childhood pneumonia account for around, occur in around 14 per 10,000 children aged over five and these rates are indeed doubled in children in the underage five-year group. In terms of terminology, it can be difficult. There are lots of things that we use, community-acquired pneumonia, pneumonia, respiratory infection, low respiratory infection. What's the difference? How do we distinguish between between all of those? So actually, we can use these terms interchangeably. Um, We can say pneumonia um, as a low respiratory tract infection. They are generally interchangeable. Um, But the key thing here is really that it's community-acquired, so it's an organism that's been picked up in the community. That brings us on to, nicely, what, what are the common causes of these community-acquired pneumonias? So we recognise that causes of community-acquired pneumonia can vary with age, and these have been highlighted in one of the tables in our article. We know that viruses account for the majority of causes in children, particularly under the under one year of age, and of these, the respiratory syncytial virus is the most common cause. We also know that there are bacterial causes, and streptococcal pneumonia remains common across all ages. Are these, is this the same globally? So wherever you are in the world, is this sort of quite similar or do pathogens tend to differ? So there are some slight variations in terms of um, worldwide organisms, but in general, we know that the patterns are relatively, relatively similar. If you think about, are there any particular groups of children that are most vulnerable to community acquired pneumonias? Yeah, there are. So uh, we know that pneumonia is more common in otherwise healthy children who are aged under five, but also there are other risk factors for developing pneumonia, and these include prematurity, immunodeficiency, chronic respiratory diseases, and other conditions such as neurodisability, including severe cerebral palsy. So these are things which you need to really be asking about if you have any concerns to work out whether or not you should be worried about the child. Okay, let's move on to um, assessment. So if if someone is suspected of having a childhood pneumonia, how should a doctor go about assessing them? What are the important things to talk about in the history and look for in the examination? So the the focus really is on performing a thorough history and examination. And I think there are three main sort of features which uh, which form part of this clinical assessment. So firstly, it's important to look at the signs and symptoms that that child presents with and to to determine whether these are in keeping with mild, moderate or severe markers of severity. Secondly, as we've discussed, there are risk factors that could render children more susceptible to particularly developing severe infections. And these should also be considered 
And finally, it should also be sought to determine if there are features that suggest a development of complications of pneumonia, such as empyema or the development of effusions. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> how how can we work out whether a child is safe to be managed in the community versus needs to be referred into secondary care? So we can determine severity um, in our clinical assessment, and this can be determined by assessing features um, such as temperature, respiratory rate, any evidence of any breathing difficulty, what the oxygen saturations may be if this is able to be assessed in the community, if there's any evidence of tachycardia as defined by age-specific values, and also looking to see, particularly in younger infants, if there's any impairment of feeding. And if these sort of features point towards more mild or moderate symptoms, we know that these children can be safely managed in the community. What's the first line defences? Is presumably antibiotics. Tell us a bit about what you would use. So we know that children should be treated with antibiotics if pneumonia is suspected. And there are guidelines um, that suggest that oral amoxicillin should be given as first line treatment. And these have been backed up really by several large randomised control trials, which have shown that oral amoxicillin is as effective as administering parental penicillin. And this was also confirmed by a Cochrane review that was published in 2013, which looked at children that were hospitalised with severe pneumonia. In terms of the route of administration, is there any benefit in the more severe children of giving intravenous antibiotics or is oral still appropriate? So we know that oral antibiotics are safe and effective to administer even in severe cases. However, we should consider giving IV treatment in children who are features of sepsis, complications of pneumonia, or in those children who cannot tolerate oral fluids or medicines due to problems such as vomiting. And how long do you usually use antibiotics for? What sort of course is recommended? Well, at the moment, there are no current guidelines to determine the optimal treatment duration of antibiotics. However, we generally give empirical treatment for around seven to 10 days. So during that time, if patients are managed in the community, if say they're mild, what advice do you give to parents about sort of when to worry, when to represent? What safety netting um, advice is important? So safety net advice is really important for children that are managed in the community, particularly with mild to moderate symptoms. And parents and children should be informed to monitor for signs of deterioration Um, any signs of dehydration and also any features that might suggest that they've gone on to develop complications of pneumonia. And if possible, this this can be provided as written information. And it is also important that parents are aware that they should seek further medical advice if fever or symptoms persist, despite having 48 hours of antibiotic treatment. Do you give the parents any advice about what to do regarding school or nursery attendance, for example? So I think that really depends on how the child is um, clinically. Um, Obviously, if the child is um, sort of more unwell and not able to go to school, then that might need to be delayed um, until they feel ready to. Um, It all depends on a sort of case-specific basis. Mm -hmm. And in terms of infectivity, is there anything that parents need to be aware of in terms of keeping them away of people who are particularly vulnerable to infections? I think that's a really important point to make. So we know that there are vulnerable children who have problems such as we've discussed already. So there may be children with immunodeficiencies or neurodisabilities that attend the same schools and it's important that they are protected during the course of that child's illness. After an episode of pneumonia, what sort of follow-up is offered in the community and also say if someone's severely sort of affected and has been in hospital, what follow-up would be appropriate in that circumstance? 
So in general, follow-up is not routinely required in children who make a full recovery, um, but we know that some children do develop more severe symptoms and can have radiological complications such as features of collapse on chest x-ray or complications such as empyema or effusions. And in these cases, children do need follow-up, which is generally as an outpatient after around six to eight weeks from the initial episode, which consists normally of a clinical review and a repeat chest x-ray. Tell parents about the course of recovery. I mean, I know in adults, sometimes after you've had a chest infection, you can get a cough that persists for a, a bit a bit longer than you might anticipate. Is there any evidence for how long cough or other symptoms might persist after pneumonia in childhood? So we recognise that the cough can be a persistent problem, certainly a long time after um, the initial episode of infection. I think the main the main features really to reassure parents would be to for, for the parents to see how the child is with with those symptoms so for example if the cough is persisting but the child remains otherwise unwell then that can be expected however for children that have had more severe features of pneumonia if they do then go on to develop other symptoms as well that would warrant an, another review by a, a medical professional I was just thinking about how vaccination has impacted on the rates of pneumonia um, in the UK and globally. Can you tell us a bit about that? So um, we know that since the introduction of the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine, so both the 7th valent and the 13th valent vaccines, there has been a substantial decrease in the incidence and admission rates of invasive pneumococcal disease, both in developed and developing countries. And also the Hib vaccination um, since the introduction of that, we know that there are, redu- uh, there are reduced rates of pneumonia in the UK and worldwide following the introduction of this. And what about the impact of the influenza vaccine on childhood pneumonia? So we know that annual influenza vaccination is currently administered to children, um, particularly in the UK, and this has been found to reduce mortality and hospital attendances secondary to community-acquired pneumonia. Finally, are there any long-term consequences or sequelae that parents and children need to be aware of? Are they more likely to get another pneumonia or is it more likely that they might develop respiratory symptoms in the future? We know that in general, most children that have an episode of community-acquired pneumonia do not go on to develop complications as they get older. However, we do know that in a small proportion of children that do have more severe symptoms or clinical complications, such as empyema, can go on to develop problems and these would be um, followed up um, generally in, in secondary care environments. Great. Iram, thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you for talking to me today.